Every team, every topic, everywhere. This is Believe. Get your fix on the morning spiel right here on 1033 WKMZ. It is a Tuesday after 9.15 in the morning, so of course that means that Mike Osti is on the line with us, managing editor of WV Sports Now and host of the Mike Drop podcast. Good morning, sir. How are you? I'm doing <clears throat> doing as well as I can be, I guess, right now. So I am living the dream, but probably coming at you from maybe 75%. Yeah, you may, you may like go, 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 get some, go get some Gatorade, and, and we got to get you hydrated. you, you got to be ready for... We, we got to get you hydrated. We got to get you ready for for Saturday. Uh, it's an interesting well, time. Yes, yeah. so I have to chug some pineapple juice and <laughs> get my full vigor up. But yeah, I'm doing I'm doing well. I'm I guess I'm I'm doing my best. Yeah, uh, that's the the life of the, the both a a new new parent and and the uh, husband of a teacher. So it, it's it's all the right. germs, all the germs coming in right now. Uh, okay, so. Uh, Mike, it's an interesting time for WVU to be playing Oklahoma State because if we'd had this conversation two, three weeks ago, and I think yeah. we kind of did in a way, we alluded to it, we'd be talking about what a nightmarish, hellscapish mess that Oklahoma State had been. But they have improved to four and two, and they're coming off arguably their biggest win of the season and all of a sudden they're going to be coming in with some momentum into Morgantown uh, for homecoming for WVU's homecoming. And I guess the big question is, do we have any idea of, of what has, has really changed? Is that something that was talked about? Uh, I assume, you know, I know coach speak can be tough to wade through Uh, you, however, I believe are fluent in it these days. So the question I have is, did Neil Brown talk about Oklahoma State at all and, and the sort of the difference that he's seen in this opponent from where they were to where they are now? He did, and as most coaches do before a game, and Neil Brown is no different, he used the opportunity of Oklahoma State recuperating after a really bad loss to open up the season to now being a respectable team and searching to compliment the opposing coach. So he talked about how West Virginia right now has to overcome adversity, really for the first time this year, has to overcome a devastating loss, a bad loss, and it's now going to be pressure on him as a coach to show what he can do to galvanize the troops, I guess. And he can look to his opposing coach, Mike Gundy, a Hall of Fame coach, a guy who's very odd based on this landscape in not only college sports, but sports in general, has been at the same place for a very, very long time, and had to do the same thing earlier in the season. So Neil Brown basically said he, he's, he's literally trying to mimic what Mike Gundy did several weeks ago. Where they, and you could argue they had a worse loss. I mean, they, their loss was not to a conference, though. It, it was to a team that could eliminate you from respectability all year long. And Mike Gundy, to his credit, was able to pick his team up, dust that off, and get some real quality wins and now be 4-2. And, and Neil Brown also kind of talked about the way they did that was really Go back to the fundamentals, which is exactly what West Virginia did from last year to through the offseason and led them to pick up four wins in their first five games. 
They went back to the fundamentals. They weren't missing tackles. They were really playing basic football and getting gritty wins. And then Houston happened where that wasn't the case. But Mike Gundy's team, first few games of the season, they were missing some of the most tackles in the entire conference. They cleaned a lot of that up. The running back has started to gash teams. They've kind of gone more to relying on the run game and not having to rely as much through the air. And Neil Brown also even brought up that Mike Gundy, I believe he's had six, seven, something like that, 10 win seasons, which is just insane. And through the years, he's won with offense and throwing it all over the yard back when the Big 12 pretty much was if you didn't score 40 points, you might as well not even show up. And that now he's also adjusted where a lot of Big 12 teams are doing it on the ground, like West Virginia, and kind of has become more of a defensive team over the years and then trying to, you know, scrap that and fixed that after it didn't work out earlier in this year. So he's really been able to reinvent himself, which is a difficult thing for a lot of coaches. I mean, we're even experiencing in today's football world, the greatest coach of all time and Bill Belichick is having trouble reinventing himself and having a really bad year. But Mike Gunny doesn't really have really bad years back-to-back years, and you could argue last year was really bad. So tons of compliments Mike Gundy's way, compliments to Oklahoma State on how they've done this, and West Virginia is not facing the team that lost a really bad game to open up their season. They're not facing that team. They're facing a team that's proven they can beat anybody, and this is probably a really bad time for West Virginia in, I could argue, a must-win game if they want to make this more than just crawling to a bowl game facing Oklahoma State on homecoming. But Oklahoma State could easily get a road victory. They've now proven that the last couple weeks. Yeah, I mean, you go back, so it was uh, going all the way back here to... I don't think it was actually their opener. I think it was, but it was, I mean, it was really early in the season. I think it was their third game and South Alabama came in. South Alabama. Right. Came, been losing to Houston. Yeah. yeah. Came, South Alabama. Came right. to town and they didn't just win. They rocked Oklahoma State. That was a 33-7 to final. And it's just wild when I look at this, like, Ollie Gordon had three carries in that game. No one had more than 42 yards receiving in that game. And then all of a sudden you, you fast forward to Kansas uh, about a month later, and you have, instead of three quarterbacks playing, you have one. He has a pretty good game, by the way, 28 of 41, 336 yards, two touchdowns. Ollie Gordon has all of a sudden become the workhorse, 29 carries, a buck 68 on the ground, plus another 116 yards through the air. You have two other targets, one Rashad Owens with 112, Brennan Presley with eight catches, 79 yards, and a touchdown. So all of a sudden, Oklahoma State... Uh, where a month ago they looked like they were dead in the water is moving. Now, one thing of note... And, and let's be honest, too, Alex. A lot of other coaches and a lot of other teams around the country, if you lose to a South Alabama, and I don't mean Alabama, I mean South Alabama, yeah. that most casual fans probably haven't even heard of, and of course is, is not playing you know high-level FBS football, you lose, and you lose that way. This isn't a game-winning field goal in a game that was weird with some crazy controversial calls or turnovers. That's usually how you get to FCS, beating FBS, etc. A lot of other coaches and teams would have just said, ah, this isn't our year, we're done, we're folding. But they, they completely changed the game plan and strategy and who they're using. And it basically went back to a training camp in the middle of the season, which is easier said than done. So that is what Neil Brown's kind of trying to do now, even though there's a lot more bright spots that come out of the Houston loss, even though you lose in devastating fashion than what happened with Oklahoma State earlier in the year. But 
Oklahoma State, even off of last season, even off of Big 12 projections, that was a game that even when West Virginia was said to be 14th in the conference this year, I thought, okay, if they're going to crawl into a bowl game this year, that's probably a winnable game. Like Oklahoma State is not supposed to be that much better. They weren't that good last year. The talent has actually been waning in comparison to what it was. You could argue Gundy and a criticism of him and coaches that have been around a while at the same place. Even Dabo Sweeney is dealing with this. He struggled to deal with the transfer portal era and NIL. They're not throwing cash. They're not bringing in tons of transfers. He's trying to develop when that's not the system and the world today. So you can maybe win that at home. But now it looks like he woke up week three and was like, I'm a new man. I'm reborn. And, and who knows? So yeah. West Virginia has a lot of work to do. And as I said, you hate to say must win on a team that's only two away from a bowl game and is still very much in the Big 12 conference race that's quite a lot. But if you lose it and you're two and two in conference play, you have back-to-back losses, one of them, again, in devastating fashion, and you're just in the pack with everybody else, and yeah, you probably still could get six because the schedule's not hard and you only need two more, but getting six and six when you started four and one is not going to feel the same as if you finished six and six off a regular season that led to it to regroup from how bad last year was. Yeah, and well, the other thing, too, worth noting is you just don't want to see what happened in Houston. You don't want to see the season spiral out of control, and that's kind of what WVU is, I feel like, WVU is up against this week right. against Oklahoma State, is there is a there is some potential when you have a loss that devastating. I mean, I mean, there are so many great examples, but one of the ones that comes to mind immediately for me, you go back to, I want to say 1994, I believe it was, uh, 90, is either 93 or 94, but Dan Marino's fake spike against the Jets uh, created a spiral where Pete Carroll would get fired after one year. They'd hired Rich Kotite. The Jets won four games in two years after Dan. So, so two and a half seasons after Dan Marino's fake spike, the Jets were something like four in 36 or something crazy like that. Yeah. These are like, and that's an extreme example, yeah, right? What a historic pool. You, you yeah, did there. I know. I'm, I, yeah, that is, that is, that is an extreme example, but it's also not the only example. It's not the only example in the NFL or in college football, certainly not in WVU's history where a type of loss, sure. this devastating can kind of spiral things out of control. Some of the older fans I've heard, been, they've been mentioning that 96 game against uh, Miami, but my, my, uh, point though ultimately right. is that that kind of makes this feel like a must win or maybe at least like a must compete game like they've got, you got to get your mojo back I guess because no I think it's a must win game because again if you lose this game even if you play well and again the offense played well against Houston even though the defense and special teams didn't show up but if you lose the game you're way down in the conference standings, because Oklahoma obviously is the class, and Texas is likely going to face in the Big 12 title game, but everybody else has one loss, and they're right in there, and Texas has even lost. And But having two, I don't know if all six, seven of these teams are also going to lose in the same weekend. So then you're dropping below them in the standings. you only got you know so many more games left. And yeah, winning the Big 12 title might be pie in the sky this year no matter what, but you don't want to finish 8th or ninth in the conference. That's still kind of lower than where you want to be, even though it's higher than 14th, especially after starting 2-0, especially after 4-1. and one. I do think, right or wrong, fans' expectations 
entering the season. And I mean people being reasonable, not, you know, I got, it got to be eight wins plus every single season, but saying, okay, five and seven, six and six, I would be happy with, and I could consider getting back on the climb as long as next year is better. Those people are now telling me that, but you started four and one and two and oh. So, you know, getting six, that does, that's not going to give you the luster yeah. that it would have been if you got there with one win here, one loss here, one win here, one loss there, and you're fighting and you get there at the end. You know what I'll compare it to? This is a West Virginia example. West Virginia baseball just won the Big 12. They got a trophy. They got rings on their finger. Had one of the better years in program history. Had a ranking that had never been seen before in program history. But they won that Big 12 title in a co-share with three programs. They lost at the end of the season several games in a row and got swept. So there are people, and I every time we put an article up about it, that always tell me, yeah, but you backed into it. Or, yeah, it should have been a full, full share. Or why are we celebrating a co-championship? In college sports, co-championships definitely get celebrated. It was one of the best years ever. They deserve to celebrate. The ring looks the same. And they were a champion from the year. However, it doesn't feel the same because they did back into it, and them losing allowed it to be a share with these other programs. But, Alex, conversely, if they would have been well out of the race and had to really serve the last two weeks, where they were one of the programs that, by sweeping somebody at the end of the year, they got that share, those same fans that say they don't want the title now would be celebrating it to no end. But it's the same championship. They just did it two different ways. Yeah. No, that that's actually a pretty pretty good. Uh, I, I like that. That's a pretty good analogy. A pretty good comparison there. Hey, you mentioned something about Oklahoma State's improved tackling, and it reminded me that I wanted to ask you uh, any idea and any commentary uh, from the coaching staff, uh, either after the game or more probably more appropriately after Monday's uh, press availability. What on earth happened to West Virginia's tackling in the Houston game? Because it, it, I'm. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but I believe it will wind up grading out as not just the worst tackling of the season, but I think it's going to be not even close through the first half of the year. Uh, worst yeah. worst tackling performance of the season by Pro Football Focus's uh, ratings. And uh, I'm just curious what happened because in real time watching it, I thought, <laughs> whoa, there's a there's, like it, I didn't need Pro Football Focus to tell me how bad it was. It just confirmed what I saw because it was bad in real time. Right. And a lot of the time, analytically, the stats are supposed to kind of confirm confirm what you see, even though that's something that not everybody agrees with. But this is a game and a moment that everybody agrees. I watched some bad football. I don't need numbers to tell me that. And you did. And Neil Brown even said it literally, that whatever is the opposite of good football is what we played. That's pretty much what he said uh, on during Monday's press conference. So... Exactly. And, and this also goes back to the theme the coaches were trying to sell during the weekly press conferences is that, yes, losing in a last second Hail Mary, it sucks. It feels like a game that West Virginia was almost about to steal, even though they were kind of trying to blow the game earlier on, like the Hudson Clement touchdown. During that entire possession at the end, I was thinking, ah, they're not going to move the ball at all. They're not even going to get a field goal range. They're going to get stopped. They're going to get tackled here in the fourth down play. It'll be over. And then you turn around and Hudson Clement spurts in for what you thought was a game-winning touchdown and a win where Neil Brown will be sitting there saying, we didn't deserve the win, but special teams and special years get a win. Kind of how they've been winning throughout the season despite all the adversity, but yet it was not to be. And Houston did really deserve to win because West Virginia – 
played bad in many facets that could lose you the game. So you deal with the kickoff return, horrible dealing with returns that entire game. The special teams unit just had their worst day in years. It, it was fundamental stuff that was horrible. And then defensively, again, one of the worst days in years, my takeaways column was about how it gave you flashbacks to last year. Last <laughs> year's team, the issue was mainly defense so bad, missed tackles. That's why Jordan Leslie said we have to treat you like 14-year-olds and go back to the fundamentals and camp through the offseason. And then all of that crept up again. So the only explanation I can give without being on the team and missing those tackles myself is what one of the players said. Eddie V said it. He's a defensive lineman that has really emerged this year. We talked to him several times because he's an impact guy, and he said, mentally, I believe we were still on the bye week. So, yes, fans can point to coaching. Neil Brown has admitted that maybe he, in retrospect, handled the bye week or handled different things this year poorly, even though they were winning. Neil Brown said that when the team was winning and they were getting gritty, ugly wins, which was really hurting their body despite winning, we saw all the injuries, he gave players time off. The veterans he treated as if they were veterans on an NFL team where he didn't make them you know, go to Monday or Tuesday practice, etc. And Neil Brown says in retrospect he, he made a mistake. He literally said, and some thought he was, you know, taking a shot. But he said, it's on me, I'm the head coach. But I underestimate the maturity of this team. This team did not deal with, basically, lack of structure well. And that crept up in a big game on the road after a bye week because that means you got, like, six, seven days in a row of lack of structure. And maybe they were forced into it, as he said, because of all the injuries. They couldn't cover a lot of things they wanted to cover in a short week, even after the bye. But it did kind of look like they were like last year and mentally in the bye week. Yeah. So whatever happened, happened. But they've proven they can be much better with how they played earlier in the season. And you would imagine now they got the kick in the pants they need. Jordan Leslie even kind of threw a shot at his players, too. I mean, he literally said, you can put it on coaching if you want, but your best players have to play the best and have to play well for a team to win, and that goes to any level at any sport. And our best players did not play well. So, yeah, they had Aubrey Burks and company out, but that can't be an excuse. And they just didn't appear in the game at all. Like The fans were very invested. The team <laughs> did not appear like they were outside of the offense. No, and, and I would say if the tackling and special teams, if it reverts, if we find that the Houston game is an outlier, then WVU probably has a pretty good chance at winning a, a few more games and, and you know flirting with eight or nine wins on the season when you look at their schedule. Right. If that's a harbinger of things to come, watch out. Now, before we uh, before we get out of here, we do right. have, we have a few minutes left. I, I did want to get a quick update with you. Uh, you had just mentioned the injuries. Obviously, WV was down four pretty critical starters in that Houston game. Uh, what is the status of those guys? You had two offensive linemen. Uh, obviously, we know one of them is is out for the season in linebacker Trey Lathan. But three of those guys, I think most Mountaineer fans are really, really hoping are going to be back ASAP. What's the latest there? Yeah, so it appears Wyatt Milam is going to be back in this game. Hugh Brown said the word. He's confident that Milan would be back, but of course we're speaking Tuesday. He said he needed one or two days to kind of show what he's been showing. So I'd imagine that it'll be definitively said probably in his, his radio show on Thursday with Karidi. Tom, Thomas Remack, though, is somebody that Neil Brown said UCF at the earliest. 
So, obviously, I would scratch him for this game. It appears that UCF may not even be likely. Aubrey Burks, he just continuously says he needs to see more evaluation from. He needs to keep progressing. He did practice, though, on Monday, so that's good. So I don't think Aubrey Burks is 100%. It'll be interesting if he plays or not, because I feel like if he does play, that'll be a team leader and a veteran going out there less than 100% because he believes it is a must-win, and when he was not out there, even as a presence, his defense was awful, especially in the secondary. If he does, doesn't does go, then maybe he just can't. But he wants to play. He's probably not 100%, but maybe he could go. And Justin Johnson, who's a running back that didn't appear in the game, but he wasn't hurt, but he was sick. He didn't even make the trip. And it also will be interesting if he plays regardless because the coaches did say, including Chad Scott, they may shorten up the running back rotation. Like, I don't want to bang this drum because apparently this has like, kind of been my thing, apparently. Um, <laughs> but CJ, eh, I mean, it was better, but I mean, that's still not what you're paying all the NIL money for. Again, I believe it was 3.9 yards per carry, 60-some yards, 50 in the first half, and then obviously whatever the rest is in the second half. It's not good enough again. Jaheim White got some carries. Once again, it wasn't the guy of advertised before the season. Granted, he's a freshman, so you're not mad at him. But do you just give them more carries and keep grounding and pounding? Do you switch it up to others? What do you do there? Because even though the offense exploded, look, it's best it's been in years and finally was great in the passing game, this is a team that's still going to win off the running game. And if the running game never gets back to what it was, that's probably a team that barely gets in the bowl if they get there at all and has a really bad end of the year. So that's something to really focus on and what they do there. But they're getting healthier. It's just slowly but surely – and, again, they're facing a hot team that also is getting healthier, playing way better as the Mountaineers are coming off a loss. So I do think it is a must-win, and you might have some of these guys out there less than 100% because they feel that, and they know they need to win. Hey, Mike, tell folks where uh, they can find your work and what you've got coming up. Absolutely. WV Sports Now, coverage of this football program and what's going on with the football program, and then, of course, the basketball program plus, the even wild coverage of the big soccer match this week. So a lot there. Still worrying about battles. <laughs> and Ethan Bach, actually, a guy who uh, covers basketball for us on a beat, he, he threw a commentary up there on all the different options for the team, whether or not they get that waiver. And then, of course, the Mike Trout podcast. You can find it everywhere you get your podcast, Apple, all the way down. And maybe a few other announcements coming. The Pike is the way uh, for me, too, on, on what I'm doing. So appreciate the time. I will get back now to my daughter, who I see is uh, having some anxiety that Papa's on the phone. <laughs> Fair enough. We, but, uh, we, we appreciate yeah, it, Mike. This is, this is a big game for the West Virginia Mountaineers, and it looked like a couple weeks ago that they could kind of afford to lose maybe this game as long as they won at Houston and beat a struggling Houston team, but that was not to be. So we're here in a must-win game. It's kind of weird to have a team. Not many teams out there are 4-2 and 2-1 and two and one in conference play, and you're having conversations that if they don't win this week, the season you know, scrapped. But that's like the vibe because of how bad it was last year. Yeah. Hey, Mike, go get some pineapple juice, and we'll talk with you in a week. All right. Have a good day, man. <laughs> See you, man. All right. Uh, that was Mike Osti, managing editor of West Virginia Sports. Now we've got to take a break. Adam Zundel of ESPN Plus coming up next. 
Thank you for listening to Believe. You can show support to your host by subscribing to the show and giving us a five-star rating on your preferred platform. Check us out at Believe.com and search for B-L-E-A-V on YouTube. You know when you're listening to a true crime story that has an unbelievable plot twist that makes you stop in your tracks? That's what our podcast, People Are the Worst, brings you with each episode. I'm Rachel. And I'm Rebecca. We're identical twins who love true crime cases that make you say, didn't see that coming, and we hate the people responsible for them. Listen to People Are the Worst now on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts.